Well, we're going to uh, continue our series this morning, Following the King. We've been in this for a while now, and we're going to keep on plugging through the book of Matthew. But before we even go into the content and the passage today, I want to do a little kind of like prayer activity activation together, all right? Like a little, uh, just a little practice, a little spiritual discipline together as a church, okay? So can you open your Bible to John chapter 1? Or if you have a smartphone, uh, go to your Bible app. If you don't have that, I really encourage every single person that's going to participate, by the way. So open up, your bio, open up your phone and just Google John 1, if that's what you got to do, okay? I'll give you a second. It's not going to be on the screen because I just randomly decided to do this. One of the things I'm going to talk about in my message this morning is prayer. But I want to just pause as a church and practice praying together and even demonstrate for anyone in the room. And not by pray together, I'm not necessarily talking about like intercede for something together, like as a, as a church pray together for something, but practice personal devotional prayer all together for a minute. So go to John chapter 1. And if you... Um, you know, aren't even going there, you can still participate just by listening, because I'm going to read a couple verses. And what I, want us, what I want us to do is, as I read and as you follow along, is to pay attention to where you are drawn as I read. Now, there's two ways you could be drawn. You could be drawn by literally God, like highlighting something to you, the Holy Spirit highlighting something to you, or by your own just personal mind's curiosity about something. Whenever I'm having my like time with the Lord, spending one-on-one time with Him, I'm always trying to be alert to, where, is God speaking to me? Or is my human mind just like me speaking? And it's not like I want one more than the other. I'm saying both of these are kind of like doors, if you will, into intimacy with God. Either one of these can be your entry point into a time of communion, fellowship, hanging out, quality time with God. So let's listen to John 1. By the way, this is a poem. You know, we read this in a normal column and it kind of looks like a, something from a textbook, but if this was put more appropriately, it's like the literary genre. Some of your Bibles probably have it, Lit, um, like formatted differently than the rest of John. But this is like poetry right here, okay? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Read that again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I'm going to read one more time for the sake of anyone who's not able to follow along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
So as I read this, the very first time I read it, the thing that jumped out to me was this. The word was with God. The word was with God. So Lord, I just thank you for insight. I thank you for your word. Thank you that you were speaking things to everyone in the room. Maybe not that phrase, the word was with God, but a different phrase. Right now, everybody, just call to mind, just identify for yourself either what was God highlighting to you or what did you find most interesting in those three verses? There's no wrong answer here. So I'm just demonstrating for you guys what I do on my time. The word was with God. It's so interesting. The word was with God. Mm, you're with us. Thank you, God, that you are with us. This morning, Lord, as I preach, I receive your withness. Later on, after after this, when I'm kind of fried and I have to parent, I get to parent, I have to parent, let's be honest. <laughs> I receive your witness for them. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me as I parent. You're just as with me as I parent as you're with me when I preach. And I need your mercy there, God. Parenting's so hard sometimes, all the time, sometimes. I need your witness later today as I parent. Will you be with me? And Lord, as I go to family dinner and I interact with my family and all my in-laws, I ask for your witness to be there for me. Thank you so much that you are with me. I love you so much. And I receive your love. I receive your witness today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that is what's on the table for all of us every single day to slowly read scripture. Three verses. What was interesting to me? Where is God speaking to me? All right, I'm just gonna shut everything else down and I'm gonna contemplate that. I'm gonna say it out loud slowly. I'm gonna pray it back to myself. I'm gonna pay attention to what thought came in. What thought came to me was, God was with me, so I just, okay, boom. There's a, there's a um, mine right there for me to mine. I'm gonna go coal miner deep on that thought. God is with me. And then just stew on that, pray that, shoot that over to the rest of my day, pray it over whatever's on me from last night, whatever, you know. This is, this is the abiding thing. This is being connected to the vine. Is, is slowing down and taking time to read scripture slowly and then praying it to yourself. So if you're in the room and you're like, I've heard about quiet times or I've heard about being friends with God or I've heard about intimacy with God. What I was just demonstrating was a form of that. It's not like the best way or the right way. It's just the way I engage with it. And think about it for yourself. If you don't feel like, man, I really walk in day-to-day -day connection with God or 
day to other day or, you know, week to week, whatever, you know, whatever your rhythms are, then, hey, what I just did is something you can take, modify and tweak and do yourself. Don't look at that as like the right way to do it. That will screw you up big time. If you look at it, that was the way to do it. I'm going to do that. But take it as a model, as a trampoline that you can go bounce on and find your own thing, okay? So the content of our passage today is all about prayer. And that's why I thought to do that. So let's read today's passage. Will you guys stand up with me? And let's read it all outlined, out loud together. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Amen. All right, you can sit down. All right, so who else finds it ironic that I just prayed in front of the entire room? Let's just, you know, talk about that. So this is, a, this is an exciting passage to, to go through. I'm excited to talk about it. Last week, Luke preached on the four verses prior to it. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and um, it's this whole discourse, this whole big chunk, this whole teaching that Jesus did to his disciples. So he's teaching to his followers, and he's saying, hey, the king is here. That means that the presence of the kingdom of God is here. The future utopian age that you're all hoping for is present through me right now. When I'm here, that utopian pre future kingdom age is here right now. So I'm going to teach you the secrets of living in that future age. And if you will live in that future age, even though you're, if you'll practice living how you will always live in that future age, in this age, it's going to be really sweet for you. If you will live like how you're going to live when this evil age is destroyed and taken away, right now, it's going to go really good for you. So Jesus is teaching us how to live as kingdom people as people who realize that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. This world has a way of doing things and we've been shaped and influenced by it. So that's why we need to come to scripture, come to Jesus and live not of this world, but of the kingdom world. Does that make sense? So um, verses one through 18 are all kind of on this same topic. Let's look at verse one, Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Here's my translation. Doing godly deeds so that other people will think you're sweet, you're super awesome, you're super cool and spiritual. This looks like I'm going to raise my hands in worship so that everyone knows how passionate and free I am. I'm going to pay for all my friends' meals at Skyline after church 
so they'll see how radically generous I am. I'm going to go preach this awesome message and hopefully be really funny so that my sense of self-worth and importance is very high and I really feel myself afterwards. I'm confident. I'm feeling good. These are all examples of practicing our righteousness to be seen by others. That phrase, practicing our righteousness, if that's just so complex and weird and confusing, like so many syllables, honestly, right there you lose me. Um, think of doing spirituality, doing spiritual things, doing things for God. Don't do things for God in order to be seen by others. And what Jesus is doing in verses 1 through 18 is he's bringing a reformation to how we should practice our righteousness, how we should do our spirituality. And, you know, this was a big, big problem in Israel historically. You know how, like, the prophets, like, the books of the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, all those, it's like, man, those guys are mad. And they are being, like, savage and crazy hardcore against Israel. It's because this was a, they were speaking primarily against, or one of the main things they're speaking against was this attitude, this spirituality that was for appearance and for others to see rather than just out of sincere heart connection and honor to God. Um, and Luke pointed out, well, so Luke's message was awesome. I'm going to get there in a second from last week, but what Jesus is what Jesus does here is he uses the big three kind of practices in Judaism in verses 1 through 18. Giving, prayer, and fasting. These are kind of like three core spiritual practices for Jews. And so Jesus is going after these big three. Now, this is slightly a tangent, but what that says to us is, that those are actually still important for us today. Because Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if. So notice that Jesus isn't like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He is, like to use the language of what's really popular today, he is deconstructing and then reconstructing. He's deconstructing bad beliefs and practices and thoughts about giving prayer and fasting, but really this bigger category of practicing righteousness, and then he's reconstructing. You know, it's great to deconstruct. Like, that's healthy. That means that you are not God. If you are not God, you will deconstruct your beliefs and your thinking. The key thing is just that you enter into the phase of reconstructing, and that you actually, de by deconstruct, I mean like question what you believe and what you've practiced and what others have taught you. But then you enter into a phase of seeking out understanding for yourself about those things you have questions about. Um, so Jesus is deconstructing and then reconstructing. And there's really a warning for all of us in, in the fact that Jesus doesn't just ditch giving prayer and fasting. And the warning is this. We are not to reject just cold-heartedly and, and um, finally, the practices and the, the cultures and societies of the generations that go before us. It's such a temptation, right, to be like, you know, I'm going to totally reject the stuff I don't like about the people who've gone before me, how my parents did it, you know? I, I don't like how they did it, so I'm going to parent this way, you know? Or I don't like 
um, how they worshiped. So I'm going to worship a whole new way or whatever. There's a warning here for us that we're supposed to not do that, but we're supposed to take the best of what has gone before us and to critique the bad with a good heart and then to go forward. And I'm just going to say to um, millennials and Gen Z, because we're like kind of the emerging generations or whatever, we really got to be careful of that. That we don't look at Gen X and baby boomers and whatever comes before that, those dinosaurs before that, you know? Um, and we're not to look at all that and just be like, oh, well, that's how they did it. You know, I'm gonna show them the right way now. Keep us in check, okay? Like there's a whole, this church is, it's, the thing I love about our church is it's very, interge it's intergenerational. We have all ages and, um, at this church and all races, you know, I mean, not literally every race, but there's a, there's a decent level of racial diversity, but there's really significant generational and age diversity at our church. And so the older generation, keep us younger generation in check, okay? With kindness and love, I'd ask you, but come to us when you feel like we are not taking the best and going forward. That's 0% what I want this church to ever become, you know? Okay, but Luke, so that was a quick tangent, Luke, talked last week, and he, I loved how he did this. This hit me so hard. He said, what would be Vineyard Northwest's big three or four practices? What does it look like when we practice our righteousness? You know, Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Beware of doing your spirituality before men. And I love what Luke said. I'm going to kind of adjust it a tiny bit. Luke said, maybe for us, it would be worship, gifts of the Spirit, Specifically, probably the gift of prophecy and the prophetic, evangelism. And then this one is a little more tricky, but like a culture of honor and, and listening and loving relationships. That would be where we need to look, like the things that we're really proud of, like we, here's our values, here's what we do great, here's what we have to give away. Yes, this is awesome. That's where God would say, hey, beware of doing that to be seen by others. Beware of doing that stuff because you've lost your first love. Beware of doing that stuff because it's what Vineyard Northwest does. Do that stuff out of love and connection for me, out of searching the scripture and living your life from the scripture. Do it out of a true, I do what I see the Father doing. So as we listen today, maybe in, you can import whichever one of those, maybe you, think, you feel a little bit of an ouch when I list it. Like, ah, oh, man, yeah, sometimes I do kind of worship and I'm not just thinking about God, I'm actually thinking about what other people think. You know, it could be too, beware of your lack of practicing your righteousness before others because you're scared of what they think. <laughs> because you've received your reward, which is safety. That's a whole different message. Okay, so I know I'm kind of all over the place, but let's, let me try and refocus things. Verses 1 through 18 are Jesus critiquing, is Jesus critiquing this... Uh, this error of his uh, religious error of his day of practicing righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. And how he frames it, how he frames this whole teaching, I think is really helpful for us to notice and to, and to catch on to. Okay, so look at verse one again. Can we have that back up? Beware of practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So here's what I want to propose to you. He's framing this in a problem and consequence framework. Here's the problem 
and here's the consequence. The problem is you're doing things to be seen by others. The consequence is you're not receiving the reward. Isn't that pretty gracious and amazing to God? That's how he frames it. He's not like, here's the problem and you are damned because of it. <laughs> He's like, here's the problem and I love you. You're missing out on something amazing. This is, this is the problem and I actually, my, my like goal in life is not to correct humanity. My goal in life is to lead them to life abundant. Lord, I just thank you that right now you're breaking off of people the mentality that God is really out to get us. But the, and I, I release the revelation that God loves us. God created the world for amazing, ecstatic joy in connection with humanity. So how it's framed is there's a problem and this is the consequence. Now let's look deeper at the problem and then we'll finish with the consequence. And the consequence has a solution kind of embedded in it if we'll look at it closely. So here's how, I, here's how I'm thinking of it. This is what I'm calling it. Okay, so there's uh, kind of like three case studies Jesus does here. Case study of giving, case study of prayer, case study of fasting. That's verses one through 18. Last week, Luke talked about giving. This week, I'm talking about prayer. Next week, we'll talk about the Lord's Prayer. We'll continue in prayer. And then the following week, we'll get into um, fasting. So everyone missed that Sunday, okay? Because fasting sucks. I'm just kidding. Um, so there's prayer errors is what we're going to look at today, okay? For the sake of memorability, think about it like that. What are the prayer errors of the hypocrites? What are the prayer errors of the pagans? So the hypocrite's prayer error, let's look at verses five and six. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, or at the front of the church on a Sunday when I'm just kidding. <laughs> at the street corners, they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So their prayer is worshiping God, praying to God in such a way to gain attention from other people, to gain admiration and approval from other people rather than intimacy with God. They're praying for attention from others. And that's pretty much the prayer error of the hypocrites is the same as the giving error of the hypocrites. Sounding a loud gong in order to be uh, seen about their giving or just making sure they look like crap when they're fasting so that everyone can tell, wow, they're clearly fasting. Like, whoa, that's amazing, you know? Um, so the hypocrite's prayer error is, is the same for all of them. But, and just to hit, hit that, you know, clearly their, their error is they're doing things in order to be seen by others. Which reveals that they don't really feel seen by God. W what drives us to get attention from others when we don't realize that we already have all the attention we'll ever need from Papa God? He is, his eyes are transfixed on you. 
He loves you deeply at all times. There was a time when it was in 2015, beginning of my wife and I's marriage, and um, my big, one of my big flaws I brought in our marriage was I did not know how to do conflict well. And you know, honestly, that's probably the big fly everyone brings into their marriage, but um, my kind of vice in conflict is being like a badgerer, is not giving the person space when, they, when I should, like step back and give them space. They'll be like, blah, 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 and I'll be like, yeah, I'm open that door and come right behind you, you know? <laughs> Which is really like, I, that's kind of you know, funny what I just did, but it's actually not funny. I had to have a counselor tell me, that is wrong, stop doing that. And it hit me like, oh wow, <laughs> okay. And that's kind of the journey I'm on right now is like repairing that in my marriage. But in 2015, my wife and I had had, it was like, we're still in college, we're going to UC and we're in this, um, in this really bad argument and uh, all day, you know, we're doing our own thing on campus and I just wreck, I just feel horrible all day, like so ashamed of my behavior and the things I said and how I acted when we were arguing the night before and the, and the next morning. And um, it was like, I was just so focused on how I had been acting. And then I'm walking through a random hallway in a building called Rivashol on UC's campus and I walked by this guy that I'd never expected to see. His name is Lou Ross. So the girl that was singing this morning was her father-in-law. I walked by him in the hallway and he goes, he was like, what's up, yeah? And I'm like pretty down. He's like, hey, you're carrying something you're not supposed to be carrying right now, aren't you? And then he just goes and he starts praying for me and all this stuff and just like totally God, like starts saying stuff to me that was perfectly what I needed to hear and describing the circumstance I was in in a, in a level of, like um, precision, not like this extreme, extreme detail, but just like speaking exactly to my situation. And you know what I left feeling? <laughs> Seen by God. So man, like whenever we have this deficit of, I feel, and, and I was wanting to be seen by my wife. I was wanting her to see my point of view and to understand where I was coming from and everything. But then when I got connected to the fact that I'm seen by God, I wasn't too concerned anymore about whether she sees me, understands me, and is validating me. And then I wasn't part of the problem anymore. You know, I could try and, try and start to be uh, at peace in the, in the relationship and help us move towards, um, you know, reconciliation. And so if you find yourself wanting to be seen by others, what's really going on there is you need a fresh experience, a fresh revelation, a fresh conviction of how seen by God you are. And you know how you get, you know how you, one of the ways you get that? In the morning, with the Bible, slowly reading it and praying through it. And I guarantee you there will be a sense that rises in you of, oh my gosh, the God of the universe knows me and loves me and cares about me. And I'm gonna carry that with me the rest of the day. So I don't need to do stuff where other people think because I'm seen by God, the creator of everything. He sees me, I'm good. So now let's move on to the pagan's prayer error. The pagans' prayer error is pretty bad, okay? The pagans' prayer error is they're worshiping the wrong God. <laughs> they're not even worshiping the right God. The pagan mentality about God, which pagan means um, those who worship gods besides Yahweh, besides Jesus, besides the Father, or him and others. They, they add other gods kind of to their list. There's other gods out there, you know, like um, the word God is more like a category 
than it is a um, name in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the word translated God, Elohim, is used, an L, is used all the time to describe other nations' gods. So that's why he reveals himself as Yahweh, as I am, because he wants to personalize himself. Here's me, you know? So anyways, um, the pagans' prayer is that they're worshiping other demonic spiritual beings, other gods, and those other gods don't really give a rip about them. <laughs> and so what they have to do to get those gods' attention is talk a lot. Let's read 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So their experience, the pagans' experience is, unless I make a big show, I'm not going to get my God's attention. Unless I go light the candle or, you know, I'm just imagine someone at an altar in India, like, unless I go and do the right type of sacrifice or whatever, I'm not going to get God's attention. And unless I, you know, cut myself with a knife and bleed like the prophets of Baal, and I'm not going to get my God's attention. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't giving a teaching to pagans right now. Who's he teaching? Turn, turn your Bible, if you have one, to um, chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. This is chapter 5, verse 1. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. This teaching is geared at disciples, followers of Jesus. So Jesus isn't teaching pagans about the one true God right now. He is correcting his disciples' worldly influences in how they pray. Are you following me? He's not teaching pagans how to pray, right? He's correcting Christians, followers of Jesus, disciples, Jews. Uh, at that point, they're you know, more likely just it'd be safe to say Jews and followers of Jesus as well. Um, he's correcting where they have been influenced by other spiritualities that are unbiblical, that are unkingdom, that are deviant from the way of following God, following the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. So there's a real stark warning to us there. That should kind of shock us and hit us in the stomach. Because, you know, obviously we all know, of course, we got to make sure that our finances, how we do finances isn't influenced by the world or, you know, Muslims or whatever. Um, which I love Muslims, by the way. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying like, uh, or the, like my parenting. I need to make sure that my parenting is influenced by the kingdom. Or, you know, how I look at retirement, how I look at how I'm going to spend my free time, you know, how I look at my love for the Bengals or whatever. Like, I need to make sure that I don't get too worldly in how I operate there. You guys relate to that? Like, oh, yeah, we all know. Look out for that. But how many of us think, I need to make sure I'm not too influenced by Muslims and the world and New Age and how I follow Jesus? That's the thing he's pointing out here is, you are following me in a way that's mixed with how the world follows their gods. You think that how you're following me is so perfect and pure, but actually you've been influenced by how other religions and other spiritualities do their spirituality, and you're bringing that into how you follow me. He's warning his disciples about how they've been influenced by pagans. Don't pray like the pagans. What I feel like a word for us this morning, really quick thing to hit here is, 
and this is probably mostly to my generation, but it applies to other generations as well, how we as Christians view astrology and horoscopes. God speaks all throughout scripture using the stars and signs in the sky and, and other, other ways he uses nature and the cosmic world to show us things. So I'm, I'm, we need to make sure first we get that, okay? Like God speaking through the stars is first and foremost a Christian, is a God thing, okay? But we can take it through an impure, unholy, demonic vehicle and then start, uh, then start looking into and operating it. That impure, demonic, um, impure vehicle will be your horoscope. <laughs> we'll be reading your horoscope in the newspaper or Googling what is specific about a Capricorn or what, who should a cancer marry, you know, or Scorpio, what's my flaws, you know, like that is when we take, so, that's when we take something that was, that's from God and we mix it with the world and we start to implement it like how, and we start to pray like a pagan. Does that make sense? So if you're into that stuff, I love you, do not, I hope that you hear my heart here. I'm not like pissed at you or think you've committed the unpardonable sin or you're screwed or anything like that, okay? Like there's stuff in my life that's mixed and messed up in my spirituality and I gotta make sure I'm always keeping in check and um, figuring out. But just consider that, okay? That it's probably not the best thing to be reading your horoscope or to be putting a lot of stock and weight into your astrological sign. Yes, God can speak and will speak to us through nature and the stars, but it has to come through Him, not through other mediums and avenues and stuff, okay? So, the pagans' prayer error is that they have bad beliefs. Hippocrates' prayer error is that they're doing it for attention. The pagans' prayer error is that they have bad beliefs about God. And how this could impact us is, you know, we can let our, and I'm ju I've just been rambling on this, but just to close this idea, don't, we can't let unbiblical beliefs impact our view of God because it will screw up our prayer life. Unbiblical beliefs can come from all kinds of places. And the most powerful place that bad beliefs come is through our personal experience. Through our personal experiences that imprint on us and our mind tries to make sense of it, not through a kingdom filter, not in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, and we land on a wrong conclusion. I talked recently about, I got up here and preached once when I was early in my preaching time, like when I was younger, and I thought, I'm not gonna get any notes, I'm just gonna go for it, it's gonna be awesome, but it sucked, it was so bad, okay? And I was so embarrassed, I was so ashamed, and one of the things I took from that experience was, oh my gosh, I better prepare. I better really prepare, you know? And what I carried then was not God's perspective on that moment. I was praying about it and God kind of took me back to that moment. I had like a imaginative vision in my mind and I saw Jesus up here standing next to me with his hand on my back, just being like, good job, bro. Kind of laughing at me like, ha you're immature, but I'm proud of you for being so bold. And I felt like God said to me, hey, that was you putting out your character, your identity of being a risk taker. Not your identity, but that character's gonna put you being a risk taker. How many people are gonna preach with zero prep? He's like, you're a risk taker, Wilson. But you see how my experience there, not processed with God, led to a bad belief about myself. 
And all this anxiety got wound up in me every time I, I was going to get ready to preach. And so we got to look, we got to filter our beliefs and make sure that we're getting our beliefs from the Word of God and, and from the Holy Spirit, from safe, healthy Christian community. So, pay, um, hypocrite's prayer error is doing it to be seen by others. Pagan's prayer error is they have bad beliefs. And so then a bad methodology is coming out. They believe that God is distant and doesn't love them because that's, the that's all the pagan gods were. And so now they're praying. The disciples, followers of Jesus, are praying to Yahweh like he's distant and doesn't care about them because they've been influenced by the world and how they pray. So the solution to the hypocrites giving, because the hypocrites are the focus here, okay? The pagans are just kind of like this really quick tangent. But it's a, he's critiquing the hypocrites giving, the hypocrites prayer, and the hypocrites fasting in verses 1 through 18. The solution is the same for all of them. Over and over. It's this. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. In, in verse 6-3, when you give to the needy, do not let your, le your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So your giving may be in secret. And when you fast, anoint your head with oil. Wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. So secrecy is, this, is the solution he is offering here. What's the problem? In verse 1, practice on righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The problem is we're doing things in order to be seen by others. The solution is do it in secret so you get a reward from your Father who is in heaven. So do it in secret. Now, a couple words on secrecy. Um, I think that there, when Jesus says secret here, it's like a semi-hyperbole, okay? It's a hyperbole in the sense that he is trying to bring a shocking, head-turning, to the gut, correction to a flaw. So he speaks in real, real direct power about it. Not because we should literally never be seen when we're praying. Or not because we should literally never be seen when we're giving. Or we should literally never ever ever tell anyone that you're fasting. That's not his point. His point is to bring a corrective um, exhortation to where they're off base. And so there is literal application embedded in secrecy though. And that is get alone with God. <laughs> It is valid and important to go somewhere where other people aren't to spend time with him. Go off into the woods. Go behind a closed door in your room. Go to a, the emptiest part you can find of the coffee shop or the library. Because when we have distractions eliminated, our focus comes easier on God. It's just that simple. And we don't have to worry about you know, like, oh man, if I raise my hands right now because this verse just spoke so much to me, will other people think I'm awesome? Or why would I want to raise my hands? Oh man, I maybe I should, uh, you know, like, you don't got to worry about any of that stuff. It's just you and God. You can get butt naked and dance before the Lord if you want. You know, like, if you're prioritizing getting alone with God and not um, always practice, not always having your times of prayer and intimacy and one on one time with God being in a public setting. Does that make sense? So, this takes us back to the consequence, and this is where I'll end. The problem was, 
trying to be seen by others. The solution is go in secret. That's the thing he keeps on saying. Now the consequence is dire. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Who wants a reward from God? I mean, come on, like, I don't wanna miss out on that. Now, and it's easy to get kind of twisted in our thinking about what a reward is, like something we earn. Like, is he saying that if I pray enough, I'll earn more peace in life or I'll earn more jewels on my crown in heaven or whatever, you know? But that's not the idea here behind reward. Think more of like fruit, natural consequence. What will happen when you have the right motives and when you do it the right way is the reward. So I know I'm kind of getting to the end here, but just hang with me for one more second. These two words are critical to understanding this. Father and heaven. Can you bring 6-1 back up? No reward from your father. Everyone say father. Father. And everyone say heaven. Heaven. Okay. With father, what's coming to mind, what should be coming to mind first is about intimacy with God. A, A relational, intimate connection with the God of the universe. Not one that just stops at the altar, but one that goes with me everywhere I go all day long. Not the type of relationship that I only get while I'm at church or I only get while I'm being good. It's the type of relationship that is dedicated, fiercely committed to someone at all times. There's nothing my dad wouldn't do for me and there's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. That's how we're supposed to think of God as a father that loves us, pursues us, wraps us up in his arms, puts us on his lap, loves us so much. And then heaven, that's the other word, Heaven, don't think of where we go when we die. That's not the concept that's trying to be brought out here. Heaven is Matthew's way of saying kingdom of God. We have gotten so trained. The gospel message we have heard our whole life, especially in the West, is um, repent and believe in God, confess your sins so that you will go to heaven when you die, right? But you know that God's goal is to bring heaven to earth. His goal isn't for us to get to go somewhere when we die. You know that when you die, that's not the end. The end is when Jesus comes back and we all receive glorified, resurrected bodies. And then mission part two comes into play. (laughs) That's what I think. So when he says heaven here, he's not talking about somewhere you go when you die. He's talking about the kingdom of God's benefits and blessings here on earth. So our reward from our Father who is in heaven is we get to experience heaven on earth. We get to experience kingdom joy, kingdom presence, kingdom blessing. When this age ends and there's no more crying, there's no more mourning, there's no more tears, there's no more cancer, there's no more debt, and we get to live in just total bliss and connection with God, that's the reward he's talking about. And we get to experience that in pockets right now when we don't do it, when we don't do stuff to be seen by others. Does that make sense? The reward is kingdom presence. God's very presence nurturing us and and his joy filling us. Man, I felt so alive. The best part of my morning today was when I was sitting right there demonstrating for you guys how I do my quiet time. That, the joy and the fullness I felt in my heart right then is incomparable. That's the reward. You guys stand with me, I'm gonna pray and end us. Here's a great book, Praying the Bible. The Book of Prayers, I've really been getting into it lately. It's by Wesley and Stacy Campbell. She spoke here last year and it was awesome. So Father, 
I just release eschatological joy over the room in Jesus' name. I release the joy of the kingdom of heaven, heavenly joy course through our veins as we go about our day today. Lord, prompt the hearts. I know there's a couple people in this room who aren't following you and need to come and just say, hey, I want to enter into a journey and a life with Jesus. Will you prompt them in their heart right now in Jesus' name? I bless every single person in this room to figure out their root of connection and intimacy with God. Everyone, just put your hand, this is funny and just weird, but just do it if you want to. Just give me a high five, everybody. Come on, God has got you. You're gonna have intimacy with him this week. He's gonna teach you how you do it uniquely. So I bless you to walk in victory and to walk in intimacy with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer teams, hustle down to the front, please. Come on down if you'd like prayer. Have an amazing day.